morning, church. Great to see you this morning. Isn't it gorgeous and sunny and beautiful outside? In fact, if you didn't know, but if you stand inside, you look outside, it looks like it's 80 degrees, and that white stuff looks like sand. Isn't that exciting? So turn to a neighbor and say, I am so glad you're here today. Do that, would you? Oh, and if you're online, we're glad you're here too. We had a little problem in the first hour. We had some technical stuff, and so you're joining us now. We're glad you're with us. And if you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, that's where we're going to start this morning. We're not going to finish here, but we're going to start there as we continue a series called Resilient. We're learning what it is to stand firm in our character and our core character as to who we are even when we go through tough times. We're building a life that stands. That's kind of where we've been headed this year. This uh, last week, I was, uh, I was downtown. I was in an office building. There were several uh, folks that were standing around the lobby area. And when I walked out, they said, Hey, I know you. You're famous. You're on Instagram. Which I didn't know that I was on Instagram. And I said, Oh, oh really? I said, I, I didn't know that. And they said, You and Joel Osteen, we, we come to our... Uh, and so I'm going, Hey, well... Joel Osteen, he's trying to keep up with me, you know, and, and uh, so, but anyway, he said, yeah, I get these streams that come to you. I knew we were on Facebook. I didn't know we were on all the other stuff, and I, I don't necessarily do a lot on that, and uh, he said, oh, yeah, yeah, he says, we get like 30 seconds or whatever it is. He goes, uh, get a 30-second clip of you. It's kind of the main thing, and I realized that I've been doing this all wrong. Really, all you need is 30 seconds from me every week. <laughs> the problem is it takes me a good half hour to figure out what 30 seconds you need to hear. So take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to take 30 minutes to figure out what 30-second clip ought to be there. When we figure it out, I'll drop the mic or something. But no, it's good. We're going to go on that journey today. Oh, I love this. This is a new church in Acts chapter 2. I love in Acts chapter 2, Jesus has ascended into heaven, given the promise of coming again. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit, day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. They are watching the church expand and explode by people coming daily, uh, thousands in the first couple of days who came to Christ. And it's interesting that when the church came together, very quickly, four things established as to what was going to be the core foundation, what they were going to do. I would tell you, we actually could have done a series just based on this, on the four things, because those really are keys to a resilient life. But it says in this passage, it says they devoted themselves, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is the Word of God, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. Now you'll notice in that first verse that we looked at, there were four things that they kind of made the mainstay of the, of, uh, of the faith and, and was going to help them in their faith. They were going to be committed to the Word of God, the apostles' teachings. They were going to be committed to prayer, which is inviting the hand of God to move among them. We talked last week about it being the, the under armor of the armor of God, that it's absolutely key and staying courageous and, and, and having the Lord lead. You'll notice it says that the breaking of bread, the breaking of bread, now, what is that? Well, it, it actually has kind of a two, two aspects to it. The breaking of bread is that they would do common meals, meaning that they would get together in their homes and they would break bread together. But in doing so, 
Breaking bread also meant they were focusing in on what the Lord had done, or we call it communion, right? The Lord's Supper. Every time they'd get together, they would remember what Christ had done, and they would celebrate that. They would celebrate the fact that, that uh, God was pursuing their hearts. They would celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They would, they would celebrate his blood on the cross for their sins. They would celebrate the resurrection, because you can't remember that without the resurrection. And they would look forward to the coming of the Lord. That was, that was absolutely on their forefront whenever they would come together. And so that's what the breaking of bread would be. And you're saying, well, wait a minute, I don't get why did they do it in their home because they didn't have church buildings the only buildings for religious activities would have been like the temple and the tabernacle uh, not the tabernacle the uh, uh, they had like, like schools where they would do some teaching uh, there would be the outer courts but that wouldn't be for the Christians they they really had to either meet in public places like in, in gathering squares or they had to meet in their homes they didn't have like church buildings per se now you'll notice the one thing that I, I skipped over they devoted themselves to the fellowship. The fellowship wasn't, they didn't devote themselves to the, the big body, so to speak. The word fellowship is the word koinonia. It means community, um, being together, doing life together. And they had discovered the importance of together in doing life. In fact, what's interesting, the voice, which is a kind of a modern paraphrase translation, it translates verse 44 this way, and I love it. It's actually on your notes. It says, there was an intense sense of togetherness among all who believed. There was an intense sense of togetherness among all who believe. When I was prepping for this series, I reached out to our staff, and I said, hey, if you could um, invest one thing, just teach, that's it, that's it. That's all you get to teach. You can teach one thing to a brand new believer of how to stay resilient in their life, how to, how to stand firm. What would you say to them? Some of them said the absolute importance of, of the Word of God. Some of them said the absolute importance of prayer in their life and fellowshipping with the Lord. But the most common uh, answer that I got was, you got to have a community of believers, either, either a small group or you need somebody in your life who's, who's, who has a like faith who can encourage and hold you steady. It doesn't have to necessarily be um, 1,000 or 500. In fact, most of us know that we just need to have a few people in our life who are going to hold us steady, who are going to help us through life. It's together. It's this idea of koinonia, fellowship. We need each other. And it's interesting that when you work down through Scripture, and, and I will say some of you will think this is kind of uh, basics, but for some of you, I'm really teaching you the kind of the foundation stuff of how to begin your Christian journey and what needs to be in place. And Scripture teaches us all kinds of things about the power of together and how it helps us to stand resilient in our Christian life, even when we go through hard times. For example, number one, that, that, that together is important and together builds my life because it gives greater strength and courage than we would have ever had on our own, okay? Uh, we have greater strength and we have greater courage than we would have ever had on our own. By the way, if you've ever faced a scary situation, it's interesting, when you're scary, uh, facing a scary situation and at least there's somebody else in the same situation with you, it's kind of, it kind of gives you courage. I was traveling home one time from Africa. I believe I was in Turkey. 
and I got a, uh, I was with uh, Jim Keller. I can't remember if Ann Harrington was on that trip or not, but I know Jim Keller was there. And uh, we were traveling together, and I like to travel in those countries with other people. And, and uh, uh, we did a stopover in Turkey, and uh, all of a sudden, my name came over the loudspeaker. I'm just going to generally say I don't like my name to come over a loudspeaker in any airport. I definitely don't in Turkey, okay? And it said, uh, uh, you, know, you know, Philip Whetstone, would you come to security? Okay, that's two bad things right there. My name and security. And so I go, and they say, uh, guys with uh, AK-47 said we would like you to come with us. And they were going to take me down this corridor. And I looked back at Jim, and we were just about to get on the plane. I said, Jim, just get on the plane and go. Because kind of the rule is it's... it's it's easier to get a plane ticket for one person than for a group of people. I said, get on, just leave me, I, I'll be okay. And what I was really going is, I want my mommy. <laughs> I mean, that's what I felt, you know. And so they take me down, and what had happened was I brought some trinkets back and some, some souvenirs, and it turned out, and I bought a, uh, like a bow and arrow type thing, had a quiver, and I didn't realize there were actually literally arrows stuck in that thing like this, the steel. They looked like little knives in there, and they, they wanted to ask me and question me about it. And uh, so I ended up getting back on the plane. But there is something, when you're by yourself, when you're separated, man, that, that's scary. Solomon says some words that are really profound in Ecclesiastes. says this, uh, chapter 4. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. I immediately thought of Jesus when he goes to the pool of Bethsaida and he looks at the man who is on the mat who's crippled there and he says, do you want to be made well? And the man's answer are some of the, to me, some of the saddest words in all scripture. He looked at Jesus and said, I don't have anyone to help me. I don't have anyone. He has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can they keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Now, he's not trying to get profound or anything like that. He's using metaphors and illustrations to teach a point. And he says two people can defend themselves. Why? Because you can fight back to back. And a cord of three strands, you're talking about three people, you're even stronger. There's that principle in Scripture that when I have at least one or two or three or four other people, I'm stronger and I, I'm going to have way more courage than I would have had by myself. I was reading a, um, some kind of a business article in a business magazine recently. And uh, some of you will remember this. Some of you might have seen this. Uh, do you know what a tractor pull is? is it, folks, you know what tractor pulls? Okay, how about draft horse pulls? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, they, the draft horse, these big horses uh, that pull, um, they, they have these like county fairs and those kind of competitions. So a draft horse weighs um, close to a ton, but can pull 8,000 pounds or so, okay? And then two draft horses individually can pull about 8,000 pounds each. Together, they can pull what? Anybody know? 24,000 pounds. 
they can pull an additional 8,000 pounds on top of what they normally could if they just pull together. There's probably a scientific reason for it. I would just simply tell you there's a spiritual principle for it. Spiritual principle out of De Deuteronomy says, um, how is it that one person can send 1,000 to flight, uh, two can send 10,000 to flight? And by the way, he isn't saying that you can do that in your own strength. He says, unless, of course, the Lord is in it. He's saying that supernaturally speaking, there is power when we come together that we would never have had by ourselves and you would never have individually. Number two, the second reason together is so powerful in our life is that it encourages and challenges us in our spiritual walk and every one of us needs it at times, including this guy. Notice what he says in, the, uh, Deut uh, in Hebrews chapter 10. He says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day, the day of the Lord, as you see things culminating, he says, we need it even more so, so make sure you're doing that. Now he uses two words here, which are, their, their encouragement of different sorts become, they come from different locations. The first word is the word spur, and the word spur means to provoke into movement. Um, it is not meek, it is not mild, it is not gentle, it is not always kind. It is the idea, you know what the word spur means, it means to prod someone into moving. Have any of you ever tried to wake up your children when they're tired? Okay, how about a teenager, right? You try to wake them up. If you're going to wake them up and they're tired, that's going to take some work. That's going to be hard. You gotta, sometimes you've got to provoke them into movement. The other word is the word encouragement, and in it, it simply means this. It means to run alongside or come alongside of someone to give them encouragement. We would do this with our children when I was teaching them how to uh, ride their bike. We'd always, we'd always go down into grass so that when they, because uh, you know, ultimately they're going to fall, when they fall, they would always fall in something soft. And so uh, I would run behind them, and then I would come alongside of them. How many of you ever done this, right? You can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And it's not running in front of them, it's running beside them to give them courage. And the author says that, man, when we are together, yeah, certainly in the body of Christ. But when we're together, even two or three, Jesus says, I'm there with you in that meeting. When we do that, that has that ability to keep us strong and to, and to encourage us. And sometimes it even pokes us and prods us because sometimes we're not doing so well spiritually. And we need someone to remind us of what it means to stand strong. When I was in college, um, I was a freshman and uh, the, the, the guy who was discipling me was, his name was Greg Harden. He's now Dr. Greg Harden, by the way. And um, Greg was a senior. He was discipling me. He, we were f very close friends. We hit it off immediately. We went to the same fellowship group. Um, we, I went to the church he went to. And uh, Greg used to call me either on Saturday night or he would call me on Sunday morning 
or he would wake up at my door because we went to a church that was on the other side of town and they had a Sunday school class and uh, we were watching. I got to be honest with you. I'm sure somebody found it interesting. At, at whatever time it was in the morning, it seemed a little too much for this guy. Uh, Francis Schaeffer. I know he's fascinating. He's a philosopher, a Christian philosopher. I'm just going to be honest with you. That's the last thing I really wanted to watch on a Sunday morning at 9 or whatever it was when I'd been up till 1 o'clock the night before. And I, I so many times did not want to go to church. I mean, I was on fire for Jesus, but I did not want to get up the next morning. But it's interesting because I had a buddy who was going to say, hey, I'm going to be there to pick you up. You're going to go with me. Remember, we're going to do this. It's that, it's that motivation that I needed. And we need that in our lives. Right? We need that in our lives. I, Lester, I looked over here. I love your, your guys group that meets down uh, at the ministry center. And I love it because it's such an eclectic group. You've got, uh, uh, you got some men in there that are older. You've got some men that are younger. You've got men who are brand new in their faith and others that are still kind of figuring out where they're at in faith and others who've been a believer for a long time. You guys do projects together and work projects together. And it's so cool because there's this encouragement that comes together, right? Together. And that builds a life that stands. Number three, the third thing together does, and this is probably one of my favorites, it restores us when we slip and fall. Galatians chapter 6 says this, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, now by the way, caught in a sin, this doesn't mean that you caught them in a sin, right? It's not gotcha. This is not, this is not um, uh, when the, when the uh, Pharisees brought uh, the woman who was caught in adultery. Yeah, we caught her in the act. That's not, that's not what it's saying. The word caught means they got sucked in. This isn't something you're doing as a church or as Christians. You're not catching people in their sins. It means they got, they got pulled in. They got caught. So if someone is caught in a sin... It says, you who are spiritual should restore him, what's that next word? Gently. By the way, he also says, uh, be, watch yourself or you might also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in the same way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, restore him gently. The word restore, I looked it up to make sure I wasn't just guessing at what it meant I looked it up and it is exactly what it means it means to bring something back to its original beauty like when you restore a car or you restore a piece of furniture that has gone into disrepair I would add this bringing something back to its former beauty and purpose and he says, sometimes people get caught. They get sucked in. Uh, Hebrews says it this way in chapter 12, sin that so easily entangles us. They, they get tripped up. And he says, those of you who are spiritual, restore. And there are times in our life where we might get caught up, or as I like to say, we get sucked into a whirlpool. And when you're in a whirlpool, you don't just swim back out. You need somebody to lend you a rope, give you a hand, throw you a life preserver. That's the power of together 
in a life that allows it to stand firm when the enemy attacks. Number four, the fourth one he says is um, together offers hope when we're hurting. Now, Paul is so interesting. Um, I shared a few weeks ago that, that I think 2 Corinthians is the third time at least that he wrote to the church of Corinth. Most scholars believe he wrote at least that. There, there seems like there was one in between that, that we don't have. Um, and that's okay. I mean, it, we have exactly what we were supposed to have by the Holy Spirit. But if you go to 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians, he's pretty tough. I mean, he's calling out you know, this is wrong, this is God. I mean, he's trying to correct some stuff. When you get into 2 Corinthians, by this time he has relationship, and you'll notice that he is far, far more encouraging. He, he tries to, he tries to, in fact, he's talking by this time a lot about how you deal with suffering. And he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, uh, praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. Now, it's interesting because what he, what he says is God is the God of compassion, God is the God of all comfort, but notice how he does it. He does it through others. And all of us have received healings some of the hurts in our lives and he says when we've received those healings in our life God uses what he's done in our life so that we can minister that same grace and healing and be a conduit of his grace into other people's lives I would dare say all of you have been the recipient of somebody else's encouragement when they have gone through something similar that you've gone through it's uniquely positioned them and you uniquely listen to them because of it. And God is doing the same thing in your life, that as God brings healing into your life, the intention there is that it would go into another person's life. I, I speak to individuals um, that go to, to AA or go to uh, Narcotics Anonymous or they go to the, and, and one of the things that they'll often tell me is as they share their story, it's the encouragement they get when they hear of another person's struggle, but then how they were able to overcome that. I'm thinking of one guy specifically. That when he went, he, he came out of that and he said, you know what, I find such purpose in that group because I realize that my presence there is helping another person. And um, they had been clean longer than the other people. And he said, you know, they look to me and I feel like I've got a purpose. I feel like I have a, almost a ministry into that situation. And so whether it's addictions or whether it's, a, it's cancer treatment or whether it's dialysis or whether it's the loss of a loved one or whether it's the, a support group system, there is something about together that, that helps. I, I put down in your notes, I think, if I didn't, I should have. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we don't have the right to hoard our hurts. When I was in Africa, something interesting would happen, especially with blesbuck. I, I, maybe it's other animals do this too. But blesbuck, it's, if you can imagine, if you remember, if you remember the, the Star Wars movies, uh, Jar Jar Binks, if you can, if you think, 
the, the Blesbuck looks like Jar Jar Binks. I don't know how to explain it. It just does. It looks just like this thing. Every time I see it, I think of him. Uh, <clears throat> and it's interesting when one is wounded, it's interesting what the group or the herd does. If you try to get in position to, to take that animal to somehow, what, what will happen is that animal that is wounded will be on the outskirts of the, of the group or the herd. But when you show up or when danger shows up, the entire herd envelops that wounded blesbuck. So much so that you can't tell which one is the wounded one. Isn't that incredible? That, that we have people in our life that there would be such a distinction that we're going through a hurt or a wound in our life that we're enveloped by others around us so that you can't even distinguish the, the herd, so to speak. That's what God does through togetherness, together. Number five, the fifth one is this. It gives us a sense of belonging and all of us want to belong. Now, it's interesting because um, studies show that Gen Z and millennials specifically, if you ask them what most they're looking for and want, it is community. It's a sense of belonging. Uh, by the way, studies also go that every generation desires that. I happen to think that whether you're a baby boomer, baby buster, or anything else, that or the greatest generation, I think everybody wants to belong. I think everybody wants to feel like somehow they belong. And it's interesting because when you do the studies, the most connected generation are the Gen Zs and the Millennials, right? I talked about Instagram earlier. They got all kinds of connection. We got, we've got um, FaceTime. We've got texting. We've got face, uh, Facebook. You've got all the other ways that now that they're connecting through uh, 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 Snap or Snapchat and all those types of things. And, and there's all kinds of ways that you can connect. And yet the most connected generation feels the loneliest. Percentage-wise, they are the highest percentage that feel lonely. Our youth group, I don't, I don't think they stumbled onto it. I think they know it. And so the theme over the last several years of our middle school and high school ministries, they have an annual theme, but their theme for the ministry is this right here. You belong. Everything says you belong. Hats say you belong. T-shirts say you belong. You go down there, there's a big sign that says you belong. And I thought to myself as I was thinking through this, how cool is it that, that if you're a 12-year-old a, a or an 18-year-old or somewhere in between, you walk in and the first thing you see is a sign that says you belong. Man, if there is anything I wanted to hear when I was 15 years old was that I belong. And by the way, leaders feel the same way, preachers feel the same way, Paul felt the same way. Paul says this, you have it in your notes, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 6. He says this, he says, we have spoken freely to you Corinthians, and we have opened wide our hearts to you. We're not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. In fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. What is Paul saying? Hey, we have, we have been real. 
We have been authentic. We have loved you. How about a little bit of that back? Did you ever think the super apostle that he needed to belong to? That's what together does. Last one. The last thing that together does is supernaturally, it connects us to something that is bigger than ourselves. Now, you may or may not know this. If you have read through Scripture, a lot of you will know this. But if you're new to the faith, can I tell you something? Did you realize that Jesus prayed for you? In John chapter 17, Jesus, before he is betrayed and arrested and beaten and go to the cross and laid in the grave, Jesus prayed and John records his prayer. And this is just a little portion of it out of John chapter 17, verse 15. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. Sanctify them by the truth. By the way, your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, so that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now that is a big passage and that is a loaded passage. But notice what Jesus said there. When we are one and we are in him and he is in us, the world knows that Jesus is for real. There's something about together, there's something about one that speaks to a world that is divided and is a powerful testimony. And I had an individual, I hear this a lot, I hear it quite often, I had an individual who was, uh, was discouraged by all the denominations that there are in the world and all the different churches and such and said, I, it breaks the heart of God, breaks the heart of God to have all these different denominations and groups. You probably have heard that or even said it. Lovingly, I'd like to give you a little different perspective. You see, I think it's incredible. I don't think it breaks God's heart at all. God's heart's broken by division, dissension. It's broken by disunity, but God isn't broken by all those groups. In fact, I'll tell you something, I think it's God's plan. Because a lot of denominations are simply churches that were in the same geographical area that had a similar passion for the Lord that decided to work together. That's pretty encouraging. 
You'll notice that a lot of the denominations of the world that are all over the place, they started in one place. They're, they're kind of bigger in one, our denomination, Indiana, Michigan, Ohio. For the longest time, most of our churches were kind of headquartered there. Why? Because that's where we were. It wasn't that we didn't like anybody else. It's just that's where we were. Now we're worldwide and we're connecting all over the place. But, but that's how it started. Sometimes churches begin because they have a heart for a group that they see are not, we're not reaching. That's how the Salvation Army began. Soup, soap, salvation. They were going for the marginalized in society. That's a beautiful thing, just to bring the hope of Jesus Christ. Do you know some churches, they like robes and candles? Can you imagine me in a robe? I look like Yoda. Some churches, they're rock and roll. Some churches are country western. Some churches are very traditional. Some churches are very contemporary. Some churches are, do you know what? I've never heard a single person ever say, God's heart is broken by all the different restaurants that are out there. I mean, look at it. You got McDonald's and Burger King and Arby's. Can't we just get along? See, I think it's beautiful that God is pursuing every person in this world that he would have groups all over the world in every geographical location that is uniquely positioned to reach into that area that has a unique heart. Again, I understand there can be division. There can That's what breaks God's heart. Critical spirit, that breaks God's heart. But let me tell you, isn't it incredible that God loves you so much that there would be people who uniquely minister in something that reaches to your heart so that you can hear the gospel, so that you can grow in Christ, so that you can belong. See, I think it's all in how you look at it. He says, be one. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there also. Supernatural. Together. God builds a foundation that helps us live a resilient life in Christ. Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you for those that are here. And I don't know every story. And you know what? There might be some right now saying, Wow, do I feel alone. And some are here this morning, they're saying, oh, I needed that poke and that prod. And some are saying, I needed that encouragement. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you have not called us to do this thing of faith by ourselves on an island, but you have brought others around us. And so, Lord, I pray this. I pray we'd have the courage to build those authentic relationships one, two, five, ten, forty. I pray we'd have the courage to be authentic. And then, Lord, I pray that you would bring those individuals into my life and bring my life into theirs so that together we can stand firm in the days of evil. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
can't preach a message like that and not encourage each other. Stand with me, would you? Turn to someone and say, I'm so glad you're here. Stand firm. Stand firm. God bless you as you go. Prayer partners are here. We'd love to pray with you. If you have anything on your heart, we'll pray with you.